it was such a hard season. You know, we, when I talk about it now, I, I you know, I, I'm talking about it from what I learned out of it. But definitely when you're going through those seasons, as we all know, where you feel like you're failing, where you feel like nobody cares, or, you know, I can't, I couldn't get a, anybody to return an email. Uh, you know, at one point, literally, I was kind of hoping my email was broken. Like I thought maybe people just weren't receiving my emails because I couldn't get anybody to return an email. And I just felt like such a failure. Like, man, what are you fooling yourself? This is a show about self-discovery. About understanding ourselves. About looking into the mirror to see the good. The bad. And the unknown of who we are. This is about how we relate to God and everyone else. From Love Thy Neighborhood in Louisville, Kentucky. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Enneacast. Welcome to the Cast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. What is up, everybody? This is a podcast where we walk you through the Enneagram one type at a time. And today we are continuing our journey through the heart triad. And we are going to be talking about type number three, which is commonly known as the achiever. So what are some of the other nicknames for this yeah, person, so the, Sam? The successful person, the motivator, the role model, the communicator, the status seeker. And then my notes here just say the best. Yeah, so. yeah. They are the best. They have awards and ribbons. I almost imagine these folks just wear gold medals underneath their suits. All the like, time. Yep. Yeah, they are, they are just really, really successful folks. They get things done. You know, when I think of uh, a resourceful three... I think about this church planning network that I know that, uh, man, they were doing wonderful work. They, they had great theology. They were, they were, had a desire and a wonderful, beautiful vision for planting churches that were going to be uh, a true help to the cities and the communities that they were a part of. But the first few years, they just kind of struggled to get it going until finally uh, they brought in a guy that was a three. And he was able to leverage his gifts of efficiency and getting things done um, and organization and inspiring other people. He was able to bring all those gifts to bear. And as a result, you know, they've planted dozens of new churches around the country. So now, you know, the gospel is going forward in these communities and you've got wonderful pastors and churches that are loving the neighborhoods that they're in. And it's all in large part, it's a Mm -hmm. result of this guy using his gifts of uh, efficiency and being a three in order to take the gospel forward. So let's talk for a second about the three and about the resourceful traits of the achiever. So these folks, these folks are efficient. They just know how to see the 25 steps that it's going to take to get something done, the team that it's going to take to get this this thing done, and they're going to push that vision and that mission forward. Uh, They enjoy motivating other people. So these folks are going to offer words of inspiration. These folks are going to encourage the people around them. They're going to give them opportunities to step up and step in to try new things. Yeah, they're good at mobilizing other people. They're the they're the front man. They're like, okay, this is our plan. This is what we're going to do. I need you to do this. They're great at delegating and and helping other people live into their gifts. Yeah, they oftentimes see gifts inside of the other person that maybe the other person doesn't yet see in themselves. 
these folks are, are very adaptable. So they they become who they need to be to best love the people that they are with. Now, that, of course, can have a negative side. Yeah, and they can yeah. become like a fake and they can mm-hmm. become, you know, an, unhe- an unhealthy chameleon. But even a resourceful three, just they understand their audience, their context. They're good at reading the room and they know kind of what to do. They just have a good sense of how much space to take up and what's the vibe here. Yeah. they And they don't want to use like, you know, they don't want to use language or terminology that would alienate the people that they're talking to. Right, very so, inclusive. Yeah, so they adapt they adapt their approach in order to best love the folks that they're with. And so these folks are successful and they're successful because they set goals. They set goals and they drive towards those goals. Uh, these folks are energetic, they're self-assured, and they tend to be very competent. They tend to be very skilled and gifted in particular areas, and they they bring that competency into the workplace. So that's the three when they're resourceful. So let's talk a little bit about what happens when they become non-resourceful. Yeah, so going back to that chameleon-like thing, even at a healthy state, they can become very adaptable, but that can take a negative turn and that can be used in a manipulative sense. They uh, have a chameleon-like persona where there's a superficiality that you aren't really sure. Almost like there's not even a real them. They just become whatever the situation requires. They just become in like a a mirror almost. They're they're mirroring you to the point where it's like, hey, what's going on? Like, what do you think about this? And they just kind of, they're very very accustomed to networking and leveraging gifts and, and all that stuff. And so it just kind of takes a negative turn. So but it does. It makes me it makes me think of like when you say all that, it makes me think of like the Wizard of Oz, like the man behind the curtain. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about this big outward image. But internally, there's just a smallness that they aren't comfortable with. And so yeah. there's self-conscious about their image and they don't let that on. They want to uh, present themselves as having it all together, the competent person that knows what exactly what to do because efficiency and clarity really is a gift of theirs. And so for them to have that weakness, it just doesn't make sense. And so they have an internal vacancy that they're trying to compensate for by that outward image of success. And so they become addicted to positive attention because for them as growing up as kids, that's how they learned to be a self. Their self was affirmed when they were being successful when they were achieving and getting stuff done they were praised you know they were praised for that and so for them failing they don't really have a space. They don't have a container to experience that. Yeah, I mean, but that's got to have some relational implications. So, I mean, well, what yeah. does that do to their relationships? Well, it all becomes self-serving. And so they like to associate themselves with successful people and they like to disassociate themselves from non-successful people. And they just live with a, a superficiality. So all their friendships kind of stay on the surface because, you know, to have a weakness that what if they see that? And so, Oh, my yeah. gosh. It just makes me terrified of the social media culture that, <laughs> Absolutely. We've, that we've built because we all edit the heck out of our lives mm-hmm. and we only put the best the best stuff forward and you know sometimes we'll post things and if it doesn't get enough likes we'll delete it right I mean, all right. that kind of stuff it's like that cannot be good for us well our culture is breeded like this idea of it's all about your image. It's all about what you have, your personal brand, your personal marketing, you know, getting those right test scores, getting to that good college, getting marrying that right person. It's all just like all image based. And so, yeah, there are significant consequences to that. And it really has stakes that are at a soul level. So every personality type, you know, has a wake up call. There's a moment at which there's an invitation from God that it is time to turn this car around, to head the other direction. Don't keep going Help, down this do path. You are about to go over the ledge. And for the three, the wake up call for the three is when they begin to drive themselves for status and attention. Hmm. They're driving themselves not for the sake of others, not for the sake of, hey, I want this to be successful because it's really going to benefit other people. But predominantly, it's because 
I needed to be successful because I I, I want to be successful. Right. Because Remember, I want that attention. In the beginning, at a resourceful stage, they're about team building. They're about leveraging other gifts. They're about, you know, they're not necessarily about the spotlight. They, like your friend, was able to leverage the gifts of the people that he was empowering, and he didn't take the credit for it. But a non-resourceful three could use that opportunity for their own personal gain and ambitions and, and agendas. Right. Which, uh, which of course, when that happens, it's easy to see why their deadly sin is what it is. So, you know, for the threes, they're in the heart triad. So their primary struggle in life has to do with the issue of shame, the mm-hmm. idea that they're defective. And for threes, what happens is that shame eventually gives birth to the deadly sin of deceit. Deceit is very tempting because, if I need to look successful all the time, then that means that I need to make sure that, you know, I always look good, mm-hmm. even if that means I've got to omit some facts. So sometimes it means I'm going to proactively, you know, deceive, but sometimes it means that I'm going to deceive by, by omission. omission. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. But the, here's the thing. When we lie, who is the first person we always lie to? Ourselves. Ourselves. We absolutely, we lie to ourselves first. Well, the the non-resourceful three, they, they grow this deceit by networking. And the real sad part is when you see these folks and they're just trying to socialize with their friends, but they can't turn off the networking. Mm. They're, even when they're among close friends, it's always about how we can help each other and leverage everything back towards our businesses. And it's, and it's not even about like networking on that peer level. It's always bringing in this other voice of, hey, did you see who sponsored this? Or hey, it's like always about the other person who's not in the room that's yeah. somehow needing to serve them in that way. Uh, it's about needing the positive regard of others. You know, that nurtures deceit. It's about uh, having an an overly deep uh, commitment to protecting our public image as well as just achievements. You know, sometimes sometimes failure is one of the best things that can ever happen to us because it wakes us up to reality because nobody succeeds all the time. Right. That, that is just not life. But there's a temptation to always want to be somebody that wins and somebody that achieves. And we are tempted then to deceive ourselves and deceive others about the reality of life. So that's the deadly sin. The deadly sin is deceit. So Sam, tell me a little bit about how does the uh, how does the achiever um, defend themselves? Yeah, it's through a process called identification. It's what we've been talking about. It's the over-identifying with their image and with the successful role being played. So they they have a mask. They they project a version of themselves that they want you to see and believe because to them growing up, like we said earlier, there was no, they weren't valued because of their own self. They learned to only have value because of the positive regard of others. So they were only yeah. praised for their successes. Yeah, and, and, so, so, and the sad part is they lose touch with who they really are in Christ. You know, that there is... There's a part of all of us that has a relationship with Christ that has nothing to do with our successes or our failures. But when we believe, hey, I'm only as valuable as my successes, man, what does that say about what we believe about God? Man, that's so true. Like, it just basically takes all the glory away from him and puts it on ourselves. You know, there's not a sense in which, like, I'm here on the betterment and on behalf of others. I got here because of a team effort. You know, they're they're always kind of striving to climb up that ladder, but it's lonely at the top. You know, there's nobody else that you can attribute your success to and so for the three they need they identify and saying i'm i did this on my own it's all me i i'm the successful person here so every personality type has an idol there's something that they worship that they believe is going to save them that's going to give them identity and substance and safety that's going to be the thing that proves their value and worth and for the three the idol that they are tempted to worship is workaholism and success and 
every idol requires sacrifices and workaholism and success, they require the sacrifices of family and of intimate relationships Yeah, because I got work to do. I got goals to achieve mm-hmm. and all this family stuff and these close relationships, they are getting in the way of me achieving my goals because one thing we know is relationships are messy and you can't always just set goals in relationships. Yeah. Like, um, Either you neglect the relationships or you try to leverage them in a container that they weren't designed for. Right. Uh, workaholism and success requires the sacrifice of authenticity, but that is authenticity both with themselves as well as others. Hmm. The ability just to say, you know what? This is who I am. And yeah, I got struggles in this area. And yeah, sometimes I'm ridiculous. And I think, you know, uh, that I'm the greatest thing that's ever happened. And um, but the the ability just to be authentic, you know, sometimes I like things that are nerdy and things that aren't popular. And sometimes I say things that are socially inappropriate. And and that's hard for uh, somebody that worships workaholism and success. And then finally, the idol of workaholism and success requires the sacrifice of being loved for who you are and not for what you do. Man. The ability to have people in your life that simply love you and they don't care day in and day out whether you succeed or fail. They celebrate your successes with you. Mm -hmm. They grieve your losses with you, but you're standing with them. Your relationship to them, the value that you have in their life has nothing to do with whether you succeed or you fail. And workaholism and success will never accept you on those terms, but only God and your closest loved ones in your life, they can offer you that. So uh, so that's the idol of the achiever. But the good news is this. The good news is that God does not leave us where we are. So he knows that we struggle with shame. He knows that we struggle with the deadly sin of deceit. So what virtue does he offer us for transformation? Well, it's to live toward a a posture of truth, you know, to let them mask down and to to reveal their weaknesses and to recognize that I have value apart from my successes and I'm not defined by my success or my failure. So they're able to adopt a posture of living into the mess, the gray, the unknown of their own souls, you know, because for so long they were only externally defined and all about their network and all about their presence and their persona, their personal brand. It's all be- it now moves inward to a place of truth and authenticity and vulnerability. And that's the way forward for them. Yeah. And let me say this too. It's like, I don't think that, you know, threes need to feel the pressure to go out and just, you know, share all their honesty with everybody all the time. What I think the threes do need is they need a small handful of folks in their life that they give refrigerator rights to. You know, refrigerator rights are this Mm. thing where it's like, you know, it's the ability for somebody to walk into your house and they don't even have to ask permission. They're allowed to go in your kitchen, open your fridge and grab something to eat. Right. And threes need a handful of folks in their life that have those those emotional, relational refrigerator rights where you just let them in and you do life with these folks. Because here's the beautiful thing is that when you begin to experience your friends loving you and delighting in you, even when you don't succeed all the time, then you will begin to believe that God that God believes and feels the same way about you. Yeah, if they can you, see your mess and still love you, what what does that say about God? Yeah, absolutely. And so it's very important that, you know, if you're three, that you seek out some relationships in life where folks will just love you for who you are because you can then begin to believe the good news of the gospel, that God loves you as you are and not as you should be. Because the truth is, just as Brendan Manning has said, none of us are as we should be. Mm. 
So we are very excited to talk with one of our favorite threes. And so please stay with us. We'll be talking with author Paul Angoni. We will be right back. Okay, so Sam, there was this recent study that came out that said three out of five college students do not have a job lined up when they graduate from college. That's terrifying. So that's 60% of people that will not have a job once they graduate. At the same time, there's all these amazing nonprofit ministries that are dramatically understaffed. Like, they just do not have enough people to do all the amazing work that they want to do. Man, so with both of these problems, what do we do? Okay, so we took both of those problems and we came up with an idea. And the idea was Love Thy Neighborhood. So with Love That Neighborhood, we give young adults the real-world experience that they need. They're going to get the professional experience by being on the front lines of urban ministry and meet different people in fields that they are passionate about. But at the same time, all of these nonprofits are going to be able to do twice as much as they could before because they're going to have all of these wonderful reinforcements. Wow, that sounds like a great ministry. How would someone find out more? So they would head over to lovethatneighborhood.org and they can check out all the different causes that we support. When they go to apply, they get to choose a handful of those causes, and then we'll pair them up with a nonprofit ministry that they love and give them the real-world experience that they need. So again, all they have to do is head over to lovethatneighborhood.org, and they can apply now. Hey, welcome back to the Cast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. Our guest today is Paul Angoni. Uh, Paul is a best-selling author, national speaker, and a regular consultant for the media on millennials. He's the author of 101 Secrets for Your 20s and All Grown Up, that's G-R-O-A-N, Searching for Self, Faith, and a Freaking Job. Amen. <laughs> His newest book is 101 Questions You Need to Ask in Your 20s, and let's be honest, your 30s too. Uh, Paul specializes in coaching 20-somethings and how to live productive, focused, fulfilled lives. Yeah, and I will say, as a former intern of the program, we we read Paul's uh, one of Paul's books, The 101 Secrets, and it, I referenced some of those those quips and those insights constantly with my friends. Like, it really has given me a sense of a resolve to know that I'm not alone in my 20-something journey. So I'm super excited when we were able to get Paul on the show just to be able to pick his brain and to hear kind of behind the curtain on some of these things that it sounds like he's been doing the work with just from the books that he's produced in in the last several years. Yeah, we we actually hear from interns in our program all the time, Paul, about just how much you've helped them as, they're make, as they make their way through this, these murky waters of transitioning into adulthood. I mean, you, as Sam has said, you're just constantly ranked as one of the best curriculum tools that we give them. So we're just really glad that people are going to get to hear from you today. So thank you for joining us. We're, we're thrilled to have you. Well, thank you for having me. And uh, I think we should just shut it down after that intro because it's probably only downhill on my end oh, no. at this point. You guys have <laughs> yep, set me and, up and so that was well. Paul so. everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. I'm excited to chat with you guys today. Well, you've just heard our our overview of your type. You know, what what resonated with you? Yeah, it's always unnerving with this stuff, right? Because it feels like somebody has gone through all your mail, you know, and is reading it back yeah. to you. And it's like, oh my gosh, have they been watching me? Has this Enneagram has been following me around? Um, no, I, I, I really resonate with it. it. It's been great for me to even go through the Enneagram again and just reading through this and just getting more understanding about who I am and why I'm wired a certain way. But yeah, I, I would say the motivator is is definitely how I would see myself and, and that adaptability is definitely one of my traits that I use as a speaker. And you were even putting in that context, Jesse, of, of going into a room, reading the room, 
adapting to the situation. You know, that's kind of my whole career in many ways is trying to do that and motivate people and obviously living their best life, you know, and, and what I call their signature sauce. You know, that's that metaphor I use of these ingredients that are within people that need to come together to give that unique flavor that they offer the world. And I get so excited about helping people find their signature sauce. So I guess that's kind of that motivator coming out of me of wanting to be the best self that I can be and wanting other people to be the best self they can be. So we all have these great flavors that we're offering the world. Well, yeah. And, and to your point, I mean, I, I have found that many threes just really enjoy motivating other people and helping to bring their gifts out, helping to move them into action. They love being like the secret life coach, encouraging people to step into their gifts and their potential. So Paul, I mean, what... What aspect of God's character do you think threes are reflecting when they do this? Yeah, gosh, I don't know. I mean, I think I think God and Jesus, you know, I, I think he wants us to live, you know, to the fullest. And I think we're all intentionally designed, intentionally created. And I think God is constantly inviting us and calling us not to be somebody else, but to be exactly who he's created us to be, to be that best version. And that doesn't mean the most productive version, but just the most healthy version, the, the version that is, again, offering people this substance that the world desperately needs more of these people who are operating from, you know, what Frederick Buechner called, you know, your, your deep gladness, you know, where your, where your deep gladness meets the, the world's biggest needs. And I feel like that's who God is. You know, that's one part of his character is, is offering us that kind of abundant life uh, in, in a sense. Yeah. And, and doing it, you know, you just use the word intentionality. And I think that obviously we see so much of God's intentions. I mean, he's such an intentional God. And I think that, that threes display a lot of that intentionality really well for the rest of us. Um, how do you see people with your personality type lean into this gift of efficiency and intentionality? Yeah. I mean, I think it is our overarching goal to to get things done, to do good work. And, and like we talked about, and, and we'll talk about the dark side of that, but finding a lot of significance in the work that gets completed in achievements, uh, in setting goals and meeting them, uh, and also just having an impact. That's definitely been a driving force for me is I want to have an impact. I, I want to reach people. I want to meet them. I want to, I want to be a voice. And that's definitely been a driving force for me that helped me push through a lot of failure and a lot of rejection. You know, I was that classic story of every publisher turning me down for years, but it was that continual question. And I, I asked this question in my new book, but this question of who will I not be able to help if I give up now? Oh, and so good. it was that end result of feeling like, man, this is so important. I want to help 20 somethings and 30 somethings who are going through this tough transition process because I know what it's like. And so I can't give up, even though every publisher is telling me I'm crazy, I can't give up. And so it was really that end result of that helping other people who are who going through something similar that I was going through that really was driving me through the failure and the rejection and the obstacles. I love hearing you say that, you know, you reject, were rejected by all these publishers because, you know, just this weekend I was in Target, you know, shopping with my wife and I look over and there's your book on the bookshelf. And I'm thinking, <laughs> man, I love this. I love the fact that, uh, that, you know, when people are looking for a book to figure out how to make their way through the craziness of their 20s, that, you know, here is, uh, here's a Christian offering up their talents and their gifts to, to guide and to coach these people through such difficult times. Yeah. And I, I think that like what you just tapped into is really, really huge for 
not only uh, threes, you know, is the conversation that we're having is about, you know, the spe- specific type. But I really think that you were able to acknowledge like the the component of failure that you're that you're ready to embrace. Um, I think it's huge for it was a it was a breath of fresh air to know that life is not going to look like it's supposed to, that there's not a blueprint, the template, you know, all these things that you've discussed in some of your work. And even just now, like you mentioning, like that that you did fail and that there were there was a journey for you. So can you kind of unpack maybe uh, why not only failure in and of itself is important, but why acknowledging our own personal failures is important for for growth and just our journey or just just to help us see the world yeah. more clearly? Yeah. Yeah, it, it was such a hard season. You know, we t- it, when I talk about it now, it, I, you know, I, it, I'm talking about it from what I learned out of it. But definitely when you're going through those seasons, as we all know, where you feel like you're failing, where you feel like nobody cares or, you know, I, can't, I couldn't get a, anybody to return an email. Uh, you know, at one point, literally, I was kind of hoping my email was broken. Like I thought maybe people just weren't receiving my yeah. emails because I couldn't get anybody to return an email. And I just felt like such a failure. Like, man, what are you fooling yourself? But, but I realize now, you know, that, that wasn't me going on... Um, that wasn't me being detoured mm-hmm. from my purpose or from a path I needed to be on. Like that was the path. Yeah. And, you know, I often tell, you know, especially millennials, 20 somethings that a lot of the times I think our passion and our purpose is created out of our greatest pain and frustration out of those times that we really had to work through something hard in our life. Like that's where that passion is birthed because you know what it's like to go through something. You know what it's like to feel that sense of failure in whatever capacity you were in. And now you want to transform that for somebody else, you know? So I think that's like, you know, youth pastors, you know, if you go to like a church, like the middle school youth pastor or whatever, typically was like the most jacked up person in high school. Yeah, yeah. You know, they, they were the ones doing the most drugs, drinking the most. And so they know what it's like to go down that road. So they're the most passionate about helping others not go down that road. Right. So it it really is that that failure piece that becomes that redemptive part of your life, you know, where failure doesn't ruin your story. Failure really helps write your story. Yeah, because it makes us more. That's the crux of it. Yeah, it makes us more relatable. You know, I think that there is a temptation for for threes or for everybody just to kind of say, like, I can't mess up. I can't make a mistake or, or people won't like me or or I'll, I'll be defective in some way, but it's that failure and that, that weakness that really does can, that is the connection for a lot of people. Like it's, it's hearing a story of someone who's struggled to where I can say like, okay, I trust this person, you know, like that, that's what makes us trustworthy. That's what makes us authentic. And, but man, like you're saying in those moments, it does feel like a mistake of some kind. I'm sure. I always have a lot of, I have a lot of questions, you know, if I ever meet somebody and they never express any sense of failure, I I have a lot of red flags that go off because I get the sense of like, you know, there's something about this person that they're sales pitching me and they're not showing me the truth. Hmm. Yeah, that's important. Exactly. Yeah. And I I think uh, that's why I write in my new book, the 101 Questions book, I write that uh, we don't connect with each other over our pretend perfection. We connect over our shared struggle. Like that's the connecting point. So as a three, I actually had to go through, I think, a long season of transforming my mind in a sense of saying that that is the motivating part. Like that is how I connect and motivate people. It's not through all these amazing successes of me at the top of the mountain and let me show you how to get to the top of the mountain. I actually was motivating people more by like, here's me in the dirt, uh, cut, broken, I'm barely climbing up. 
I don't even know where I'm at. I don't have any food or water. I'm just barely surviving. But, uh, you know, here's what I'm learning, you know, and here's what God's showing me. Like that was actually the more motivating part, not the, hey, here's the seven step plan. Here's my formula, you know, sign up for my class and I'll make you a millionaire or whatever it is. You know, that wasn't the, it was the, the shared struggle piece that actually was the most motivating part uh, of my story. So, so threes, you know, and really this is true for all of the heart triad, you know, you guys are so adept at anticipating the needs and the feelings of others. And oftentimes, you know, threes find themselves catering to fit that image. And it becomes clear to your audience that you are, you're speaking their language. Like you are, you guys are so adept at connecting with people. But my question is, you know, how do you as a person and now as a brand, how do you guard yourself from the temptation to oversell and over identify with a persona? Yeah, it's really hard. Um, I think especially in today's world of social media and creating your own brand and being a personality, you know, and that's how I was able to finally get a book deal, you know, was getting enough momentum online through my my website and, and social media because, you know, publishers, they want to see numbers. They want to see, oh, who's your audience? What's your platform? And they're asking you these questions. Yeah. So it's really a hard balance, you know, and I, I remember I write about this in my uh, 101 Secrets book, I believe, but this feeling of uh, what I call death by validation. And, and and for me, that's what social media can become sometimes or is, is always secretly and maybe not so secretly wanting to be validated, wanting to be, oh, I want to get enough likes and enough comments, enough people saying, oh, this is impacting me. Oh, wow you know, I can't, you know, you're so amazing, you know, kind of getting those compliments and that affirmation back. But then I realized, you know, man, I can't be living and writing and working for this validation constantly. It's, it's becoming more death by validation than it is life by validation. So it is a constant struggle and something that I wrestle with. And sometimes I just want to pull back and I just want to go to the cabin and get off all of it, you know, because I want, I don't want to live this unhealthy life. And also what I call, you know, the a different kind of OCD, which is obsessive comparison disorder of this constant comparison, comparison game, um, which I think threes are prone to, you know, of who is, who's got a higher sales rank on their Amazon books, who's got more books, who's got a bigger reach, you know, and, and never feeling like you've done enough. So it's always that carrot dangling in front of you. And obsessive comparison disorder uh, is a big part of that for me. Yeah, I feel like uh, I feel like I'm waiting for somebody to write a book called Unsocial Media, you know, to talk about everything that you're yeah. you're talking about right now. Yeah, yeah. One thing I think that you just tapped into was this idea of just like wanting to retreat and um, just to escape. And so what are I know you you're from you're in Colorado now. That's where you've spent some time. And um, and so how can you what what have you learned or what what happens, I guess, whenever you go into the mountains and kind of connect like uh, what drives you to those places and then and what's some of the fruit that comes out of those moments of solitude? Yeah, that I, I've learned how important that is for me. And um, and I, 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 I write about this in my new book, this idea of having I, I have different mindset models that I'm thinking through. And one of them is this kind of monk mindset that I talk about this idea of getting away from it all, you know, getting into silence, getting into nature and just being, you know, and especially for a three where it's all about doing, I think it's hard for us to just be and to just sit mm -hmm. and listen. But that really is where I get my energy from. You know, when I'm not doing that enough, I will feel 
burnt out. I will feel dry. I will feel like I'm forcing thoughts or like I'm forcing myself to try to be influential or whatever, but I really am not pulling from anything. My well is completely dry. Yeah. So it's really those times where I feel like I'm filling up my well, where I am being fed, where I am being nourished, where God is speaking to me and and hopefully I'm listening, you know, and I think that can happen in your day to day too. Like I'm trying to work on, you know, just being in my car and, and maybe turning off the radio and, and to incorporate some silence mm-hmm. into like the craziness of my day. But I definitely want those intentional times too. And I need those. Uh, and I think anybody that's like a high achiever or that wants to do a lot of things, like you will get, you will, you will douse, you know, your wick at both ends and you will light it and fire and it will just be so burnt if you don't have those times where you are getting nourished, where you are having silence, uh, I think it's really important. Yeah, I heard someone explain recently, and I, I found this really helpful and really true for myself. So I, I've got a ton of three. You know, I, In fact, in my scores, I alternate between being a core four and a core three. I'm, I'm just, I'm very acute in both of those. And I heard someone say that um, one of the best things that folks that are wired like us could do is to get away because if we even see another person in our presence or if we have our phones with us, uh, because we see life so relationally that it, it we just move towards it all the time. And the best thing that we can do is to fully unplug, to fully get away, to fully be in solitude so that uh, so that all the world stage just disappears from us. And it's literally just us and the Lord. Does that does that resonate yeah. with you? Yeah, it totally resonates with me. And, and it's funny you mentioned that, Jesse, because I feel I'm a, I have like a strong wing or a strong pull towards four as well. So I kind of go back and forth a little bit between three and four. But yeah, I definitely need that. And it's funny that you mentioned this because I've gone on some hikes recently where I brought my phone and I'm trying to get away. I'm trying to have that sense of silence or whatever. And then all of a sudden I'm having all these thoughts and I'm, I'm getting fired up about things. And then I pull out my phone and next thing you know, I'm like recording 10 videos as I hike up. <laughs> You're like motivating you know, people on your on hike. Social media. You know? Yeah. <laughs> So a little bit, uh, I mean, it was good, you know, in a way it was, it was important, but then in another way, it's like, well, I'm not really doing what I said I was coming to do. I'm not really having some sense of silence. I'm still on stage, right? even though nobody's around because I have my phone and I'm recording myself. So yeah. Yeah. I have to, uh, I'm at the point now where if I go for a hike, I have to leave my phone in the car and I'm like, well, you know, if a bear comes and kills me, I'll just live with that because (laughs) I, I've got to get away from where anyone can reach me because it's not so much that I'm worried about other people reaching me. I worry about, I want to reach others. And at some point I've got to turn that off. So we talked about that, you know, the God's message for the three is to embrace the truth that their value is not found in the positive regard of others, but their value is found in who they already are in Christ. Uh, So Paul, like, how have you grown to embrace this reality? Yeah, that's a huge one for me. And I know I've really struggled with that, especially when I was going through years and years of feeling like I'm failing. You know, when you're you don't even want to go hang out with people or you don't want to pick up the phone because you don't want to have to explain, you know, what are you doing with your life to somebody mm-hmm. and having to try to pull out this magic show where you're trying to pull this rabbit out of your hat to show these amazing things you're doing when you don't feel like that at all. So that was definitely an intense part for me and de- an intense um, feeling that I still have to work through. And, um, and so I, I remember, uh, a time where I was sitting at a conference, we were kind of walking through this like guided prayer. And I remember feeling this, this wave come over me of, um, 
just this feeling of you are enough. You yeah. know, you are enough, Paul. You know, the way that, you know, just just God telling me this. Like, I don't need any of your trophies. I don't need the accolades. I don't need the published books. Like, none of that is going to change my opinion of you. Like, you are enough. You're loved in who you are and who you're created to be in, in this relationship that we have. So it's really important to me for me to remember that and to cling on to that because if my identity is on the wave of success and failure and my perceived success and failures, then I will feel miserable. Then I will feel uh, depressed and I'll feel lacking. So that really is that rooted core that I have to fall back on that I don't do well all the time. You know, I, I really struggle with that because so much of my identity is wrapped up on my uh, accomplishments or lack thereof. Well, in the age of social media, where we're all, it seems like we're all marketing ourselves all the time, that, that's just such a good reminder for us to, to remember that the Lord loves us as we are, that we don't have to, uh, to put out some persona in order to be accepted, but that we already have a safe place with Him where we're delighted in by Him. So, uh, so when we come back, we'll be playing a game with Paul, Personality TV. Yay. Stay with us. So in today's episode of the Enneacast, we're exploring type three, the achiever. And one of the pieces of advice that we give to threes is that they need to find a small, tight-knit community to go deep with. But the question is, how do we actually do this? And one of the ways that we'd like to help you understand that is through our other podcast, the Love Thy Neighborhood podcast. I want to encourage you to go over and check out episode number five, where the gospel meets community. I was excited to live with them because I, I like living with people. This is invasive, and it seems to be a distraction from what's best. I was like, you know, will you forgive me? And then she was like, I can't forgive you right now. They've been taught how to confront sin, but they've never been taught how to work through personality conflict. It was like so much tension, but we were like all trying to suppress it. And then that's when kind of all hell broke loose. So subscribe now wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Just search for Love Thy Neighborhood or head over to our website at lovethyneighborhood.org slash podcast. Welcome back to the Enneacast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. And now, Personality V. Okay, today's game is Personality TV. Here's how it works. Uh, Sam is going to give us the name of some television shows, shows that both Paul and I are familiar with. In turn, we're going to write down the name of the character on that show that we believe represents today's type. So Sam uh, will then count to three. We'll both reveal our answers. And if we match, we get a point. Uh, so we, we have to match to get the point, but we'll also have to explain why we believe, why we believe that that character is today's type. So Paul, you ready? I'm ready. I might not remember the name of every character, so hope we'll see how this works. You can describe them as the one with the belt, you know, just, just, it'll, <laughs> the it'll... one with the hair and the voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. yes, <laughs> yeah, we got it right. All right. This one hopefully will be easy and familiar. Uh, number, show number one, friends. Oh, friends. Okay. Uh, okay. I got mine. Do you have yours? I, yeah, I got mine. Okay. Okay. So I, you all say them at yeah. the same time. Okay. One, two, three. Rachel. Monica. Oh. oh. 
Okay. Right. Okay. Wait. Why? Oh. Did, why do you think Monica? Uh, I just. She was just. I mean, she was neurotic, but she was so driven. I felt like she was the most driven one out of the group. But yeah. she might not have had that persuasion like Rachel does. So I could see how it was Rachel too. Yeah, Jesse. Why do you think Rachel? Well, okay. So I debated between Monica and Rachel, but Monica's got that like rigid rules kind of side to her that like makes yeah. me think of another personality. She wasn't type. adaptable at all. Right, right, right. And 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 Rachel, like she'd walk into the room and if there was like some handsome man, she would just become what she needed to to like get that guy's attention. Gosh, we didn't get the point. Man, no point. Oh gosh. All right. Show number two. The Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Oh yeah, this is good. If 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 I could rap, I would rap right now. I'm so bad at this. I feel like we're gonna we're not gonna get many points on this game and it's gonna be my fault. Oh no. Okay, you guys Paul, do you have an answer? Are you still thinking? Um, sure. You sure? Okay. <laughs> I, I think I've kind of got one. I can't remember her name, but but okay. All right, Paul, All right. you go first. I should say the name. Yeah, go. I'm gonna say uh, Lisa. Wasn't that the sister? The sister. Was on, that the, on, the younger sister? On uh, on on Fresh Prince. Oh, I don't. Fresh Prince Bel Air. Uh, Tatiana Ali. Isn't that her? Oh. That's her real name, I believe. I did not even think of her. Oh, okay, no. I said. I said. Um, uh, I said. I actually had two answers on this one. I had for non-resourceful, I had, was it Hillary? Wasn't that? I don't know. I haven't Hil seen. I think Hillary was enough. was uh, was the sister, the older sister. And then. Yeah. And then whatever the mom's name was. And I can't remember the mom's name. And she was like the resourceful. Like, anyway. Okay. So. Well, no. And which fail. mom were you talking about? Because there actually was two moms that they changed out where all of a sudden they had a new mom I appreciate, as well. So I appreciate your, your geek your geek culture <laughs> knowledge on this. Yeah. Okay. Well, Tatiana Ali, she was like, you know, she was kind of quiet at first, but then she kind of rose up and they're like, wow, she is like really beautiful and she's a great singer. So then she was like being a singer. Oh, and so yes. I felt like she had that kind of gravitas towards like lighting up the room. You know, I actually, I'm going to agree. I think Paul gave the correct answer and I think that I failed. Wow, okay. I'm admitting my, my I'm admitting my I'm just that debating down. why we are right. So this is the three coming out of us, I guess. Now it's going to be a competition of why the The problem is we don't right. have like the exact Wrong. scores. So the points are just very arbitrary. So for the three, that's probably hard <laughs> enough already. I need to know who's winning here. Yeah, sorry. Okay, this okay. Is awesome. okay next one. Next We're one. supposed to be in this together, I thought, Jesse. Come on. <laughs> nope, We're, it's a competition. <laughs> All right, show number three, Stranger Things. Okay, I totally, I totally have oh, mine gosh. for Stranger Things. I, I, I know who I'm going for. Okay, so count. Really? I, okay, so count, count to three. And we'll say it at the same time. Should I, I want to do it like that. Oh gosh. Well, I don't know the name oh. of the person. Okay. But <laughs> okay, should I just describe it, or should we say it at the same time? No, no, just describe it, because otherwise, you're, I'm going to say a name, and you're going to say person with vest on. So <laughs> I'm saying, I'm, I'm saying, I'm going for the boyfriend, the jock the boyfriend. boyfriend. That's what Steve. I went for, Steve. All right, yes. guys, so First we got point, one point on the board. Yeah. All right, why Steve, Dream Paul? Team. Paul, why Steve? Uh, well, especially in like the second season. Okay. Of Stranger Things, like he becomes like the leader of like the. The kids. Yeah. Exactly. And like Absolutely. those scenes are amazing. Like he is the guy like risking his life and they're like following him and well, he really like comes through. Well, isn't that the as, whole like, thing? The hero. Because like season one, he's defined externally. It's all about his popularity, his coolness, how people look yeah, at him. He's a very and, stereotypical jock yeah. 80s guy. Yeah, and then yeah, yeah. season two yeah. is him going, I don't care about that anymore because I am somebody past this persona and he becomes Whoa. the leader yeah. they need him to be. He is the three. All right, point we, to us. We need him. To, yeah, wow, threes everywhere need to take lessons from Steve. All right, so show number four, Seinfeld. 
Okay, yeah. I... Okay, I have the name. I have the name okay, okay. in my head. Okay, on the count of three. Uh, one, two, three. Elaine. Elaine. Yeah! yeah! <laughs> yes! It worked. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> okay, so why Elaine for those listening? I mean, she was corporate. Go, she, she was like corporate America. You know, she mm-hmm. wanted to make sure that she, you know, looked nice. She very similar to other characters, like had a sense of, like if she liked a guy, she was willing to kind of uh, fib on the paperwork of who she was in order okay. to, you know, attract right. the guy. All right. Sounds like the verdict is clear. Next show, Saved by the Bell. Oh, this one is utterly easy. Just, uh, really? I, I think so. Oh, I could go. Oh, shoot. Okay. Well, uh, okay. Go with your yeah, gut. I got it. All right. One, two, three. Zach. Kelly. Yeah! <laughs> All right. Paul, why Kelly? Well, uh, Kelly was like the head cheerleader. She was actually, you know, trying to get good grades, even though she wasn't always the t- all the time. But like, she was like the pinnacle of like, that was like the the main gal in 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 yeah she was the Bayside standard High. yeah yeah so I felt like she was the one. Right. Would you say? Did you say Zach? I said Zach because you know he was like motivating people and always like turning to the camera and like giving commentary and I don't know. But then you make it compelling. He wasn't like on all the committees. Like she was on like all the committees, yeah. all the sports. Was she a two? The star of yeah. everything. Yeah, she was probably a three, two. Yeah, yeah. So I think again, yeah, like, I think that Paul's assessment is more correct than mine. I yeah. So I was I was maybe even gonna go Jesse, but uh, Jesse's kind of like the Monica of Friends in a way. Yeah. She was more like kind of the crazy neurotic. She had to be the best because she was the one that like had to be the best. Yeah, mm-hmm. she was like the moral. Uh, she was like the moral police of of it. No, she, she got was the crushed one. because she didn't make it into Stansberry. Yeah, yeah. Well, that uh, would be hard. The Harvard of the West, that, as that, they described it in the show. Be... I know a lot about Saved by the Bell, but like that. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I'm so scared. Because <laughs> she was on caffeine pills. That, oh, wow. that like she had to be strung out on caffeine pills to be the best. That was so maybe I don't know. Man, that episode touched my life. That was a good. That was a good one. <laughs> Uh, I've been okay. waiting to do that. I'm so excited, bit <laughs> on some sort of media. Now so thank is. you for allowing me this opportunity. Of course, that's what we're here for. This is your moment. Okay, okay. Next one. Next one. <laughs> um, The Office. I have no idea. I'm. I don't even want to say an answer. I'm. You go first because <laughs> I'm just gonna ruin How? it. Okay, okay. On this I'm one, gonna go first, and then you copy what I say. Yes, and, that's my plan because I can't even think of anybody's name. And off we, the top of my head. And we can do okay, that. Well, on, I, may, may, I, I don't know. Maybe I would, you go first and I'll see if I can lie enough to, and, and deceive. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, do you need more perfect. time? Do you need like a couple extra seconds? No. No, I'm good. No, I want no, Jesse to go first though. All so right, I don't okay. Lie. 110% absolutely every day of the week, twice on Sunday, it is Ryan. Ryan is the absolute three of the office. Okay. He is super <laughs> externally defined, business driven, uh, like, shallow mm. you know that that not he's he's a raging non-resourceful three yeah never a failure okay. just like a repackage repurpose let's take this and now i'm gonna come up with my side company my side hustle got my business cards yeah paul what about you any any thoughts or see i don't even know i don't even know who ryan is i did not watch enough the office oh, no. i'm sorry that's why i knew i was gonna mess he's it actually up. The, the he's bj novak the he's one of the writers and producers of the show so he's oh, not bj he's, novak okay yes yeah he's oh, not interesting he's not a main guy because a lot of times 
times he was behind the scenes dictating and uh, directing some of the episodes. So he was in the annex with Toby and Kelly yes. and BJ. Uh, yeah, all interesting. Of, I would all think of them are BJ Novak. I wouldn't see him as like the charismatic character though. But like, the, isn't he he's pretty very, quiet? He's very image kind of obsessed reserved? though. He's very yeah. It was more about like like he's kind of conniving, like un, uh, like behind the scenes, like controlling things. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's. Yeah, that's unfortunately the non-resourceful three. I think that's what they can... Perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, last show, New Girl. This one's okay, easy. There's okay. not a ton of characters. Yeah. I've got I've got mine. Do you have yours in your head? Okay, yeah, I have mine. Sure, let's see. Let's go. All let's right. run with it. One, two, three. Schmidt. Schmidt. Yeah! Yes! Woo! Victory! <laughs> okay, guys, why Schmidt? We got it at the end. Yeah, Jesse, why Schmidt? Oh, because, yeah, I mean, he's all about how he looks, and he's obsessed with, like, if, you know, any of his stuff, his clothing in particular, if it gets ruined or messed up, it really bothers him. And he's always like conniving to climb up the corporate ladder and wants to make sure that people understand how successful is. He talks down to anybody that's like lower culture than he is. (laughs) We're not making three sounds. Yeah. And he's a marketing guy too, right? Like that's his actual job. He's literally in marketing. Yeah. I mean, the epitome of like the constant marketing of himself. Yeah. Yeah. For the purposes of, 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 you know, of comedies and sitcoms, you know, Threes are not going to be represented in their best versions of themselves. Right, you know? yeah. The threes no. that are listening to this episode are like, man, like, I'm just like the worst character on all these shows. Like, no, no, it's just the stereotype. It's the like, yeah, it's that caricature of your personality. Like, I'm a nine. And so that's the Nick of the Nick Miller of the world is just like, oh, it's 2 p.m. Let's wake up. And I guess I need a job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So, Sam, what, what's our final score? How, how, awesome. how did we do? I think we got like, <laughs> I think the, so. The total score was three, which is great because that's the episode that we're on. Yeah, don't you try to redeem our it's a failure. Three, it's a metaphor. It's. Uh, every- <laughs> I thought we had more than. Th- I thought no. we had more than three. I want to recount. Uh, All right, terrible. Well, it was a pleasure. I, I a pleasure full, playing with I you. Take full responsibility. I'm going to take full blame for. for <laughs> uh-huh. Okay, so uh, so Paul, we ask everybody that comes on the show. We ask them. Five final questions, and so uh, so we'd like to ask you those now. Question one: What actor would play you in a movie? Oh gosh, um, I want to say I think my my narcissistic side would want to say like Chris Pratt. Okay, and I and I feel like that's a narcissistic answer because he's like the it guy right now <laughs> like uh but, like you know he's charismatic like, like he's Andy funny chris you know, pratt, yeah. or like hunky like hunky chris pratt or chunky chris pratt <laughs> 2018 chris probably pratt more, probably more on the chunky side like before he became really like the it guy like more the like funny guy who's not taking things too seriously but is like getting stuff done and like saving people from dinosaurs and from being <laughs> okay, lost so in the dra- so it's somewhere between andy dwyer and like guardians of the galaxy like that's that's the yeah. the Chris Pratt that we're going. I like. I'll and accept like that Jake, answer. Uh, probably like a little bit of Jake Johnson, like the Nick Miller uh, actor. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, a, yeah, like a hybrid of like now Chris Pratt, who's like doing a bunch of stuff with Jake Johnson, who's like like kind of doesn't care, a little bit of aloof as well. Probably a hybrid of that. Okay, that's a that's good, good. That's good. All right. Question number two: If we had a phone that could call your 21 year old self, what would you say to them? Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, I think that's. I've written, you know, two books, 101 Secrets to Your 20s, 101 Questions You Need to Ask in Your 20s, so which you is pretty say, much like everything. So I have like 202 things. No, you get one. I wish I would have told myself <laughs> at 21. Yeah. 
So that's a lot. But yeah, I think it's about, it's about that failure thing. You know, I'm always saying that success in your 20s is more about setting the table than it is about enjoying the feast. And, uh, and that the possibility for greatness and embarrassment both exist in the same space. If you're not willing to be embarrassed, you're probably not willing to do anything great. So these kind of things that are within my books, I mean, these are things that I was trying to teach myself. Like, it's okay to embarrass yourself. It's okay to fail. That's good. Yeah. Question three, how can friends and loved ones affirm someone with your personality type? Yeah, I, I think like we were saying, just, you know, that it's whether they succeed or they fail or they feel like they they haven't done anything worth bragging about that you still just affirm them like who they are, like they're more their deeper inner workings of, of their personality and, and, and their being, you know, so just hanging out with them and spending time with them and telling stories and having shared experiences. So, so that they know that people can really see them without the books and the businesses and whatever it might be. Uh, okay. So question number four, Paul, how does the good news of God's delight for you heal your deadly sin of deceit? Wow, that sounds so dramatic. The deadly sin of deceit. Yeah. That sounds like a horror movie. Yeah, Jesse's a four. Um, <laughs> um yeah, I, I think like we were saying before, like God telling me I'm not, I'm enough, like who I am, like our relationship, like that's where my worth is coming from. And so I don't have to like lie to myself or trick myself to thinking like I'm bigger or I'm more important or I'm doing bigger things than I really am. But I can just be honest and authentic with the way that God has created me and uh, and then let people see that, you know, that they don't need to be seeing all my accolades. Uh, they can see the struggle too, and that's where they'll connect with me more uh, than anything else. That's good. All right, last question. What scripture verse do you hold dear as it relates to your personality type? Yeah, uh, gosh. Um, I, I would say there's a hybrid like of Isaiah 60 and Isaiah 61, which is kind of this, it's basically like this arise, shine, uh, for God's light is on you, you know, and he sent you to preach good news to the poor, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim freedom to the captives. It's definitely more, it's definitely an action type versus like mm -hmm. God is there with you and like, go do these things. So I can definitely see my personality coming out of those versus how they're meaningful to me. But, but I feel like that's, a, I feel like I'm trying to set people free, you know, and I'm trying to set captives free uh, that might not even realize they're in some sort of prison. I'm kind of that secret agent that's going in with the key and helping them get out, you know? So, so those verses are really meaningful to me. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, the Lord's a Lord of action. You know, he's he's stepping out, he's doing things, he's moving towards people. And so, uh, you know, the three shows us that and, and steps into those gifts. So, well, Paul, thanks so yeah. much for being with us today. It's been awesome spending time with you and uh, and having some fun together as well as uh, just having important conversation and you letting us behind the scenes of, of just how you tick as a person and uh, and who you are, you know, beyond standing on a stage. So we, we just really appreciate your time today. Well, thank you for having me. And, uh, and also you've probably realized Jesse, that if you do get invited onto Jimmy Fallon, you probably don't want me to be the guest there with you. Cause I will the just phrase and the past dive, yeah. dive bomb the game that we're going to play. You know, I'll, I'll make us look both foolish on TV. Hey, I'd, I'd be glad to look foolish with you anytime. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess if we have that opportunity where both of us are getting asked to go on Jimmy Fallon, we would probably both accept. I, I think that is true. I don't think we'd pass on that one. <laughs> Thank you.
Thank you to our special guest today, Paul Angoni. Head over to Paul's website at allgrownup.com. That's grown spelled G-R-O-A-N. Uh, there you can sign up on his mailing list where you'll get regular life coaching tips. Paul's books are available everywhere good books are sold. Also, thank you to Crosspoint Ministry that trained us uh, in how to use the Enneagram. To learn more about Crosspoint or to attend one of their amazing retreats, visit crosspointministry.com. Our show is a production of Love Thy Neighborhood. Love Thy Neighborhood provides social action internships supported by Christian community for young adults ages 18 to 30. Serve for a summer or a year. Grow in your faith and life skills. Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org. Today's episode was produced by myself and Sam Stevenson. Engineering and editing by Janelle Dawkins with Justice Smith. Music for today's episode comes from Murphy DX. I'm Sam Stevenson. And I'm Jesse Eubanks. Remember... The eye can see everything but itself. Find people to journey with you because you were created for community. Community.